Oh, man. So I will say that I have been really enjoying um, getting to hear the, like, Cartoon Network sound at the the beginning of these. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, um, or not the not the old school Cartoon Network sound, but the um, the new one, the little like Cartoon Network logo title card thing that plays before Cartoon Network shows. Oh, does because, it go? You know, does it go like bum 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 bum? Yeah, and it sounds like computery, you know. Um, and you know, obviously, I watch a lot of like contemporary cartoons, and a lot of them are on Cartoon Network. And so I'm very used to hearing that sound, and it's sort of just, like, comforting. We call that classical conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Though or, the Pavlovian response is not working because I do not enjoy Dexter's Lab as much as I enjoy, you know, Adventure Time. <laughs> technically, it's also instrumental because you're rewarded when you hear that sound as well. Mm, like, I see. So you will also approach it more as well, which naturally you like shows. And so you like that sound (laughs) makes sense. Um, It'll be interesting when we get to contemporary Cartoon Network TV. I I really can't wait. (laughs) Was that, that was just like, was that a sigh of relief or like a little like pleasure sigh? It was a little, like, pleasure sigh, just thinking about, like, how much fun it's going to be to get to watch those shows that I like so much and, like, talk about them for a long time. (laughs) And people have to listen. (laughs) Well, I mean, they don't have to listen. They don't have to. Well, if, you know. But if they don't listen, we'll unfriend them on Facebook. Yeah. You're not allowed to be in the Animates page anymore. Banned. You're going to get zucked. (laughs) <laughs> though i guess technically everybody's oh, gotten zucked lately i know right did you ah, wa- this guy did you watch his confirmation or his uh congress hearings um not in full but i did watch like some highlights reels and was like jesus fucking christ the memes that have come out of them are superb i mean they're all oh, just yeah. they're all just uh, variations on the same theme, which is he looks like Data from Star Trek. He's yeah. a lizard person, <laughs> and he's a robot. But yeah, there, yeah but great. There's been some great faces that he made that were like perfect for those memes, and so I I've been enjoying that aspect of it at the very least. Oh my god, his actual smile is like small mouth. His <laughs> <laughs> face looks like that. <laughs> And that's the funny part is that people don't even really have to doctor the photos. He just is kind of creepy. Yeah, he really is. Also, apparently he's five, five, like five, six or some shit like that. He's a tiny man. A tiny lizard person, I think you mean. <laughs> um, so I don't know how we're going to go from Zuck to Dexter's lab, but um, we are. <laughs> I'm... Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. I'm Chris. I'm Paige. And this is the Animates. Today, we're going to be talking about none other than the famous, infamous, whatever you want to call it, uh, Dexter's (laughs) Laboratory, 
It's not laboratory. <laughs> if you say laboratory, you are a lizard person and you're not welcome on the show. <laughs> oh god, no. You're on to me. So, Dexter's Lab was a show that I watched a lot as a kid. Um, I, like, really didn't. I watched Dexter's Lab some, and I was aware of it, but I really watched very little Cartoon Network as, as a little kid. Which, to be fair, I was... Like, my heyday for a lot of these shows was between 7 and 10 or 6 and 10 for me because before then I didn't <laughs> actually really have a TV or cable okay we didn't I didn't get cable really until my dad remarried and until my mom remarried so oh, I was like 6 to 7 about that time so that's really when I started watching a lot of this TV which is when a lot of this TV really started um so, for example, Dexter's Lab. Dexter's Lab aired like in nine. Actually, the first pilot episode aired in 1995 on TBS, of all things. Um, really? Yes. Now, this is excluding the like um, the animation showcase show where the shorts originally aired, right? I think when I talk about the pilot apps, I think that's, I think that is what that is. Okay, yeah, because I know that Cartoon Network had this whole, it was like an animation showcase called What a Cartoon, and basically all of the, um, they're called Cartoon Cartoons, the original, like, suite of Cartoon Network original programming started on, as shorts on What a Cartoon. Okay, yeah, so the second pilot aired in 96, and I think that's where it aired on Cartoon Network in their brand new Cartoon Cartoons block. Um, okay. Just for anybody who's like me, who like very vividly remembers watching Cartoon Cartoon on like Fridays, um, Cow and Chicken, I Am Weasel, Johnny Bravo, The Powerpuff Girls, and Courage the Cowardly Dog were all a part of Cartoon Cartoons. And I liked most of those shows. Really, I, I, I love Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, and Courage the Cowardly Dog. Those were my favorites. Cow and Chicken, I Am Weasel, and Johnny Bravo were just kind of like there in the mix, and I remember them, but they also weren't things that I like. Oh, man, I love those shows. Yeah, I think, so, Johnny Bravo, I think, in that block came on after my bedtime, and generally my parents were like a rule for TV viewing up until a certain point in my life is like, if it comes on past your bedtime, like, you probably shouldn't be watching it, <laughs> So I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Johnny Bravo because my mom didn't want me to watch it. And I had a personal distaste for Cow and Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that that really doesn't surprise me that you didn't like Cow and Chicken. You strike me as mm -hmm. a person who wouldn't like Cow and Chicken. And I really didn't like Cow and Chicken either. But I... I found it crude. Like, I remember the way that I felt about the show. And I remember that I knew the word crude as a kid. Um, cause it was something people around me said and I thought it was like, it was crude. I didn't like it. I, I watched it. I mean, I, I, I think it, it was entertaining enough that I watched it, but if something else was going around, like on in my life, 
and I was watching that show, I would turn it off and go do something else. So it was kind of like the yeah. shows that I watched when I wasn't really doing anything else. Also, I'm super sorry because that means that you never watched Adult Swim and uh, that's a travesty on par with human trafficking. Well, not until I became like a teenager, you know, <laughs> you know, and then, like Adult Swim is still around. Well, yeah, but I was nine years old when I started watching Adult Swim. When <laughs> oh my god, mostly what they were showing was like the original Full Metal Alchemist home home movies, um, just like its original lineup of shows, which I really didn't like at the time because I was nine. Like, yeah, I like the like. An- I never got to like never watched Toonami either See, I, because it came on basically the same time frame. What? No, Toonami ran four to five or four to six week weekdays. It was like their after school programming. Hmm. I guess I just was watching Nickelodeon or Disney instead. And also, I don't think my mom wanted me to watch anime. I'm not sure on that. <sighs> She definitely didn't want me to. She certainly did not want me to watch Pokemon. Um, <laughs> and her reasoning was that it was a giant marketing scheme designed to get her to buy shit. I mean, <laughs> that's true. Yes, it is. <laughs> but it also when that means that when we do Pokemon, because it is a kids show to many people who are our viewers, so we will mm-hmm. do it someday. But. Um, I watched a lot of after-school programming anime, so when I watched the anime on Adult Swim, it was nothing new. Um, the only difference was that they didn't censor as much stuff. Okay, that was like, yeah, it wasn't four kids distributing it. <laughs> it was like rated TV, like, 14 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they didn't censor it as much. But So um, Dexter's Lab, originally, like I said, originally aired in 96... It had two seasons initially, which Hulu splits them into four seasons, which is dumb, but it is I don't actually think that they do, actually. No, well, uh, so season one has 13 episodes and season two has 39 episodes. So what they do is they split each episode up into 13 episodes to get four seasons of 13. Oh... Hmm. Okay, because I know watching towards the end of what's marked as season four on Hulu, it has some of the changes that are talked about as being post-hiatus, so that's the source of my confusion. A change in the cast member for Dexter, a change in animation style, etc. I think that's just because Hulu may may have mixed them up, put them early or something. I don't really, I don't know how they do that stuff. But I do know that the original show ran from 96 to June of 98. And there are to- there, there were a total of 42, wait, no, sorry, 52, I can do math, episodes <laughs> that had three segments. And I think that's why I remember the show being so much more than it actually is, is because that each, each episode has three segments. So two Which is Dex- very strange. Two Dexter episodes and then... Like uh, Justice Friends or call Dial M for Monkey in the middle, and mm-hmm. so it feels in retrospect like it was so much more than it really was. I mean, fifty-two episodes is still not bad, but compared to like the Rugrats, 
It has oh, less yeah. material. <clears throat> Season for three. Sure. So after they went on hiatus. And then they they got brought back for a third and a fourth season. They mixed up a lot of stuff, um, different like design and production and directors and writers. All all that stuff changes, and you can really tell. You can really tell. And it ran from November of two thousand one to November of two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, the creator uh, Gendy Gendy. Um, Tartakovsky was showrunner and primary director for the pre-hiatus shows and the, um, the TV movie. And then after the hiatus, the, um, showrunner position was turned over to Matt Savino, who was, um, previously a writer on the show. Yeah. He, and, uh, Tartakovsky did everything. He wrote, he directed, he created it. He like he had his hands in every aspect of like the show pre hiatus. Yeah, and um, some of you might like recognize his name because he was a pretty prolific creator in the early days of Cartoon Network. He also created uh, and was showrunner for Samurai Jack. Samurai Jack. Um, he's also been completely in charge of the Samurai Jack. Um, not reboot, but like return. And uh, he also created and was showrunner on uh, Star Wars Clone Wars. Which is also an amazing show. Um, both of those are amazing. So this person is an amazing person. Is all I have to conclude from what he's done. <laughs> yeah, done a lot of really great stuff. <laughs> so um, I'll talk about, I want to mention the cast here because the cast is actually pretty small, but. Uh, then we could talk a bit more about the creative team because there's some really interesting I don't know if you want to call it nepotism or networking uh, of like what goes on but we'll get to that so Dexter is voiced by Christine Cavanaugh in seasons one and two and you'll recognize her yeah she voiced Chucky too and then she was replaced by I don't not replaced they recast Dexter with Candy Millo for seasons three and four. And you can tell the voice is close, but you can definitely tell that there are some differences. It's noticeable, yeah. Dee Dee, Dexter's sister, was voiced by Allison Moore for seasons one and three. Okay, so the first season and the like the first season pre-hiatus and the first season post-hiatus, which is weird. And then Kat Seems like she could oh go ahead, sorry. Cat Cressida Cressida does season two and four. So you've got like this really weird pre post hiatus thing with these two voice actors going on. <laughs> Mom is voiced by Kath Susie, who also did work on the Rugrats. And uh, I'm pretty sure she voiced uh, Miriam in Hey Arnold. You know what? I think so too. Yeah. Um, Cassie also provides like she voices mom and I don't know all of the side characters <laughs> um, that are women on Dexter's Lab and on um, Rugrats she's most notably Phil and Lil but also Phil and Lil's mom and a fair amount of side characters. Yeah, because when I heard the mom's voice, I was like, "Wait, is that a happier Miriam?" 
<laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and, I didn't notice that one. Um, She's very versatile. Yes, indeed. Kids, adults, happy, drunk, sad. She does them all. Um, and then Dad was voiced by Jeff Bennett, and that's really the main cast. I mean, you got people like Mandark, um, and some recurring side characters, but really. Most of the action is Dexter and Dee Dee, and that's 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 most of the talking. Um, I think the show is probably out of all the things we've watched, it is the l- show with the least dialogue in it. Yeah, actually, uh, we could talk a bit about like it's a Hanna Barbera cartoon. And, like, it is more gaggy. It relies a lot more on action than it does on dialogue for any story or jokes. Um, I actually have a lot to say about um, it being, like, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon and that stuff. So if you don't mind, could we talk about the writers on the show first? Yeah, I wanted to talk about the creative team before we moved on to, like, it being a cartoon on Cartoon Network. Uh Um, So the music was all done by the same people. So Thomas Chase and Steve Rucker did the main show, so like the Dexter stuff. And then Gary Lionelli did uh, Dial M for Monkey and the Justice Friends. You know, those like heroic, like, da-da-da-da-da-da kind of types of music. (laughs) Um, I loved those shorts because you, like, very comic book-y, very, like, spoofing or homage to DC, mostly DC, but also Marvel comics and like, and the silver age of comics. So Mm -hmm. I, as a kid really dug that stuff. Um, we already talked about Tartakovsky. Um, we've a bunch of writers on the show and this is where Paige can chime in as well. We discovered that the, writers on the show or the directors on the show too, like the creative cast oftentimes went on to do other things. So for everybody that we talk about from here on in, it is safe to say that Dexter's lab started their careers in animation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So we've got Seth MacFarlane, um, who like everybody knows who he is. Um, he wasn't there after the hiatus because he had moved on to work on family guy. Um, and he's gone on to create like half a dozen shows and movies and be really famous. Um, like in the world as a whole, probably the most famous of anyone from that show. And he started on Dexter's freaking lab. Right. Uh, (laughs) Jason wrote, was a writer, and he has done work for the Powerpuff Girls, which you see a lot. You see a lot of crosstalk between the two shows, and I think that's partially because Tartakovsky went on to do work with the Powerpuff Girls post-hiatus, and... I think he was just, like, friends with McCracken. I was about to say, I think, like, it's networking slash nepotism that a lot of these people worked on the same shows, Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't mean that badly. I'm just I, they just that's just how animation works, man. <laughs> we're super in house about like a lot of these shows. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like Butch Hartman also worked on the show. He also left post hiatus to to go work on the Fairly Odd Parents. Oh, which is such um, a good show. 
it's just such a good show. It's a show that I watched a ton as a kid, and um, we will definitely be getting to it. So he also started on Dexter's Lab before going on to be creator and showrunner um, of uh, The Fairly Odd Parents for Nickelodeon. You already mentioned Craig McCracken, who directed uh, Dexter, who was the director on Dexter's Lab, but he went on to create the Powerpuff Girls, which mm-hmm. I also love that show. Uh, Another one that I wanted to mention is Rob Renzetti. He was a director on the show, and he ended up going to work on Powerpuff Girls and Samurai Jack as well. So again, lots of crosstalk. And last but not least, the show was a critical hit. Uh, It was received well by pretty much everybody. It was nominated for quite a few awards, mostly Annie Awards and Primetime Emmys. Um, They won a couple and they were nominated for individual episodes, for voice actors, professional awards like writing or individual achievement. The show was the highest rated Cartoon Network show for many years. And overall, it has been one of the biggest successes of original programming uh, for the network and in general in animation. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. I, 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 I knew that I liked the show. And now, now I have uh, evidence that others should like it too. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So you mentioned already that it's a it's a Hanna Barbera cartoon, um, which like the reason it's a Hanna Barbera cartoon and like on Cartoon Network and why Cartoon Network got to air old Hanna Barbera cartoons is that there was a lot of um, acquisitions of companies. So like. Hanna-Barbera was acquired by something that was acquired by something that merged with Cartoon Network. So during the cartoon cartoon period, um, uh, Hanna-Barbera was like a wholly owned subsidiary of Cartoon Network and Cartoon Network also had Cartoon Network Studios and there was cross work between the two, but the animation for Dexter's Lab was wholly a Hanna-Barbera effort. Was it, isn't Cartoon or wasn't it owned by Viacom? If I remember correctly. No, Nickelodeon is owned by Viacom. Uh, Cartoon Network is um, Turner. Okay. Like Ted Turner. Yeah, yeah. okay. I, I mixed them up. But I knew that they were owned by somebody, some big cable company as well. Um, and I mean, you can see, hey, Paige pointed out right away. And I think that I wasn't quite paying attention for it. But she's like, this just looks like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. And once you... Like once it she pointed it out, it's fairly obvious. Just the style of the show, um, it being sort of reliant on gags, physical rather than dialogue based, is I don't know. It it has. It's also constantly referencing old Hanna Barbera cartoons. Yeah, I a lot of the like, I guess a lot of the conflicts you could find in other, it's just like every sitcom has like the, I asked two girls to the prom, like type conflict. It's like Hanna-Barbera cartoons have the same sort of spoofs, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, um, they like reference directly the Flintstones, um, and, some of those like justice friends and dial in for monkey things are spoofing 
uh, type of Hanna Barbera cartoon from like the seventies and the eighties. See, okay, I, I, okay, so Justice Friends is a portmanteau of Justice League and Super Friends, both yes. of which are DC superhero teams. And so when I saw um, Dial M for Monkey and Justice Friends as were like more referencing modern day comics rather than older Hanna-Barbera cartoons. I mean, why not both? It probably is I, both. It is both, yeah. But there was uh, a person... Also, Hanna-Barbera made the Super Friends cartoon. Oh, okay, okay. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me. Well, there was a... I'm there was, pretty sure. There was a writer or a director on the creative team for Dexter's Lab that also worked for Marvel Comics. So, oh, that's interesting. Which is interesting because... Justice Friends is clearly, like, more of a DC analog than anything, so it's weird that, like, Marvel person and then the DC thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> but you've got Major Glory, who is kind of like, I don't know, like a Captain, Captain America. America. Which is a which is a Marvel character. Um, the characters are really more Marvel characters, right. honest, honestly. Crunk is the Incredible Hulk. Um, Val Hallen, the... <laughs> Val, I love that name. <laughs> Val Hallen is a Thor. So so the, the name of the group is like a DC portmanteau, but the characters are all Marvel-esque. So mm -hmm. like, <laughs> it, it's just a fun time. It's just Yeah, it's cool. I actually, so when I first started watching the show, like I was not enjoying it and I came to enjoy it more as I got farther into it, but the parts that I enjoyed did not really like dial dial in for monkey when it focused on monkey. Didn't really like it. Justice friends loved it. Thought justice friends was great. Yeah. Especially cause they sort of, they spoof a type of show that was becoming popular in the late nineties, which is reality television. Um, mm -hmm. cause it's like the justice friends, like, as they gather together to face the challenges of everyday life. And it was like, a, it was like <laughs> the a real world. Yeah, it was like a real world for superheroes. And I think that that is kind of, I don't know. It, it, it seems not ahead of its time, but it's like perfect as things like the real world were becoming like MTV was becoming a big thing and mm -hmm. all that stuff was happening. It's interesting because it's simultaneously kind of spoofing reality TV and really old school sitcoms and uh, like Looney Tunes and, and Merry Melodies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you're right. Some of the gags are very Tom and Jerry. Yeah, for sure. Even though that is neither Looney Tunes nor Marionettes, but it's its own thing. Like I don't know, but um, it's it's the same category. Um, so or there's also a whole. Sorry, just to keep going on about referencing like Looney Tunes and old Hanna Barbera cartoons and stuff. There's a a Dexter episode where it's literally it's Wiley e. Coyote, and Dee Dee is the. Um, Roadrunner is the roadrunner, and uh, they don't go. I the whole time I'm like, so they're not going to go so far as to have her say meet meet, but then at the end they do. She literally says meet meet. They they went big. <laughs> they went all the way on that. Go big or go home, man. So I, I 
I watched a lot of Dexter's Lab as a kid, and I, I love the show. I actually thoroughly enjoyed watching it. It is much more entertaining than Doug was. Um, yes. <laughs> the show. So the show is a sort of like to discuss structure. It's kind. Of, it's amoral. Like they do talk about. Like there are implied morals sometimes, but the show does not really concern itself with lessons. Like it doesn't really try to teach lessons. Again, it's mostly about gags and entertainment, uh, less about teaching kids to be good or whatever. Which is super distinct from all of the Nickelodeon shows that we talked about so far. Yeah, it seems Nickelodeon has, was more concerned with development or morals in, in some yeah. way. Yeah, it definitely does seem that way. Um, which I suppose explains why a person can watch both networks and find them enjoyable is because they provided different things to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's all. Like, I, I maybe, yeah, I, I think now I can kind of see one is more narrative while the other is just sort of gaggy. Um, and I know, I knew quite a few people who watched Dexter's Lab as a kid. Um, I believe I used to watch it with, my sisters would watch it too. Um, though Paige has a point which may connect to wider Hanna-Barbera stuff, but mm -hmm. uh, about how the show was marketed. Yeah, and I think it's a thing about Hanna-Barbera stuff and also about just Cartoon Network more broadly, especially at the beginning, which is it seems much more consciously marketed to boys. Um Nickelodeon shows, I think they were very gender neutral in their marketing, whereas um, Cartoon Network shows seemed more for boys in a lot of ways. And especially in early episodes of Dexter's Lab, I really felt it. I was like, oh, there's like a lot of sight gags here and stuff that's drawn in these really visceral ways like body humor like someone just makes this like really gross looking face or someone's yelling and all the veins in their neck are popping out and I remember really being bothered by that as a kid like I did not like it and made me feel icky well, uh, and that might just be me but Cartoon Network the shows seemed they were much more annoying there were things that were annoying in them which i didn't like and there were things that more cr were more crude and they were more violent um and which seems much more aimed at at little boys than little girls if that bothered you how did you how, how did you like rocco's modern life or ren and skimpy I remember watching it as a kid, but I have my memories of it are super vague. Okay. Because I was really little. Because what you just described was my problem with those two shows, is that they made me feel icky. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still like, like, in retrospect, I still like them. It's just, I, it, I, for a while, I didn't like them, especially Ren and Stimpy, because they would do gross, like, close-ups and all that kind of stuff which you've just described Dexter's Lab is doing and I yeah, think I never watched Ren and Stimpy but like I don't oh. think that I was allowed to watch that show <laughs> well we'll see why um <laughs> when we get to it but um 
Yeah, I think that the show... So I think we decided that it was like Nick is kind of gender neutral. Disney was kind of slight girl biased. And Cartoon Network was slight boy biased. And WB was just straight up boys. Um, (laughs) But Dexter's Lab, I liked because it, it appealed to the budding nerd within me and the budding anime pers- like consumer within me because the show it's the original geek culture show the show like it has a scientist inventor as its main character um and the ever growing pursuit to find relief from the plebeian masses <laughs> no um but yeah it's like a nerd it's a nerd show with a shit ton of anime references oh god dude like Um, the second episode is a straight up like ava situation well i mean then you get you get it's it it mostly references mecha like mecha anime like voltron gundam ava um Mm -hmm. it's just because dexter does a lot of robot like robot stuff so naturally, you get a lot of that in there. And, and I can see how that would appeal stereotypically more to boys. I think part of that might be that maybe today, maybe when hopefully we're also encouraging girls to like, like people to kind of explore their likes regardless of their gender. Maybe you get more of those young girls now who would be into robotics and nerd humor and anime, and they would find appeal in this show regarding those topics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think because when Dexter's lab was on a lot of that time, it was like pre nerd for me. Um, and also my original like nerd forays were what squarely in the fantasy realm and not in sci-fi. Yeah, and, and that's a pretty big divide in the fandom in general, is that sci-fi has tended to be a boys club. I mean fantasy has too, but mm-hmm. fantasy I think diversified a little bit into like a women's club as well whereas sci-fi you still get people angry when a woman like wins awards so um oh god we're gonna get like hate mail from all of those sci-fi dudes who no it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay (laughs) i mean i'm ready for it i'm okay with it because they're just wrong but come at us um okay don't taunt them I don't want to get I don't want to get DDoS. Um, but overall, um, the show mostly focuses on Dexter and Dee Dee, right? The conflict between these two characters. And I have a couple of things actually to say about what it implicitly teaches us about sibling relationships, which um, people have studied sibling relate like family relationships a lot and uh, a lot of times it's been stated that like sibling relationships are one of the closest relationships you can possibly have in your in your life and siblings eventually form like very important adult relationships and support systems because they're close in age to you they grew up in a similar environment that you did etc etc um mm-hmm. and 
a lot of it on the surface between Didi and Dexter is conflict, right? Didi is always messing with Dexter's shit, and Dexter is always, like, trying to keep her out, but he's also kind of mean, and there are times where you're just like, Dexter, you're being a dick, but also there are a lot of times where you're just like, Didi, you're really infringing on his space constantly, um... Which I think if you tone down the science and the gags, that's that's a lot of sibling relationships. Is like siblings trying to find their own space and siblings entering other people's space. And uh Yeah. Having And had- also it makes it very clear, like when Dee Dee there's literally an episode where Dee Dee is off doing something else and not bothering Dexter, and Dexter's like why isn't she bothering me? And something must be wrong and goes off to look for her. Well, yeah. the And that's kind of what I mean, uh, meant when I said that the show communicates a couple of things about siblings is that it also communicates that like they deeply care about each other. Um, and that despite like they both get on each other's nerves, but they both love each other and will when like when the need arises, they will help each other out. And their relationship is actually pretty good, I would say. Like, Dexter realizes that he needs her, and she needs him, and they help each other out. There's always some conflict, but uh, siblings always have some level of conflict, I think. Um, Not always, but a lot of siblings do. So, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good in that respect. That for little kids, it's not so bad. Like showing them how a brother and a sister operate together. And yeah, yeah. That I think the portrayal of the relationship between Dee Dee and Dexter is like relative, like fairly wholesome. Fa- yeah. Fairly wholesome. Uh, I mean, if you look past the unethical experimentation and <laughs> the, the like destructive power of Dee Dee, they're pretty normal. Um, whereas the parents are a little bit worse, in my opinion. So, uh, watching this show, we, we can talk a lot about the parents because they don't feature as much, but they're nonetheless around a lot. Um, the first thing that caught my attention about the parents is how, like, 1950s they are about certain Mm -hmm. things. So, no backtalk. Like, literally, they're just like... Bitch, you will listen to what I say, and if you question me even a little bit, they're just like, go to your room, mister! And it's all of this, like, authoritarian commands from the parents. And there are also, like, gender stereotypes from the 1950s. Yeah, we talked a lot about, um, Paige noted that, like, the mom is always wearing rubber gloves. Literally always. And I, I I noticed that, but I found it so laughable that I wasn't offended. Like, it was so cartoonish and so obviously stupid that I, I it could be problematic in a wider context, but overall I was just like, that's dumb. <laughs> like, nobody does that. Who the fuck does that? Uh, yeah, I think um, I have some like thoughts on like the gender politics of Dexter's Lab, and I think they're not very good. 
Like the dad but, is the dad is the breadwinner. He um talks a big game about responsibility, like sports, is disappointed when his son doesn't like sports. Um one episode is a quest for him to find peace watching his golf game, but overall <laughs> you realize that he's just a dick and like he's unreasonably trying to capitalize on like his family is kind of whatever, but also he's like trying to unilaterally pro- proclaim that everybody like do what he wants like Dexter even tries to come and bond with him and watch the TV and Dexter's asking questions. And instead of being proud, the dad is angry because Dexter's distracting him. Um, like everybody is going about their own business and sure they're making some noise, but the kids are trying to play. The mom is trying to have a phone conversation and he's having none of it. Like he's like, this is my time. And you realize that he's in the wrong because later he walks away from the TV to go to the bathroom and the family takes the TV and it's like all of them are enjoying a show together, eating and having fun, but he can't finish his game. And so he gets really mad and he goes to somebody else's house and he impinges upon somebody else's space and time to watch the game. And then he he talks and talks and talks about how hard his life has been trying to watch the game and he interrupts another person's game and so it it's just kind of like this household tyrant sort of thing ugh I didn't see that episode I didn't get as far into the show as Chris did I've been busy (laughs) um yeah and so yeah the dad is kind of like I mean, clearly it shows him as being in the wrong for being like a 1950s gender stereotype of a man. But um, in addition to and maybe I'm being uncharitable to the show because like I didn't really like it as a kid. And when I first started watching it, I didn't really enjoy it. And I have a lot of baggage about like Hanna-Barbera. But I think, you know, the combination of the sort of like 1950s gender stereotypes of the parents, particularly the mom, and the fact that Dee Dee is just like so like cartoonishly, absurdly a girl and also so incredibly fucking stupid and loud and annoying. Like she sucks so bad. Like, see, I actually um, watch walk away from the show thinking Dee Dee's awesome. Really? Because she does. She there's there are more episodes as time goes on where she does badass stuff. Yeah, and, and she ends up saving I, Dexter a lot. She ends up being the solution to Dexter's problems a lot of the time. And so she actually shows in episodes that she's smarter than she acts, too. So Mm -hmm. I guess those disproportionately affect my opinion of her. Yeah, and I will say that the farther and, you know, I like I said, I really have only gotten into like season two, really. And um, the farther I get into the show the more I enjoy it because the more original it sort of becomes and Dee Dee becomes much more of a person with like actual dialogue and things to say, 
you know, not just like, what's this do? And I'm going to dance and destroy everything. I think, um, so I think, maybe it was a problem at the beginning, but that changed over time. I think that is probably a, in my opinion, I think that's a better assessment because I agree in the beginning, she really is just that, um, just a destructive, stupid, stereotypical ballerina girl. I think you're right. Um, mm-hmm. But she does become more, and she ends up being pretty badass in a lot of ways. Like, she saves Dexter from space slavery. She, oh. <laughs> um, that is not a, that is, that is a real statement. That is a true, that is a true episode. Um, kind of spoofs Star Trek. It spoofs Star Trek a lot, too, by the way. Um, Interesting. I'm not a Trekkie, so I don't pick up on that. Yeah, That's they actually obvious. did a really awesome Star Trek episode where they're going to a convention. Uh, also, it's called Star Trek instead <laughs> of Star Trek. Um, but Dexter and some of his friends go to a convention and they end up in a like the wrong convention. Did you see that episode with the dolls? No. Oh my god, you would have so much to say about it. Um, really? Because they end up in a doll convention that's like all women. And it's like just buying like dolls and figurines and the, the entire plot reads like a, like a Star Trek plot. It's like they get stranded on a planet where they offend some local cultures customs and then they have to do battle and then they escape. Um, There's some really interesting comments on like convention culture in, in implicit in the episode and overall it's awesome. They also make a really big dig at capitalism because Dexter and Star Trek, they're post-capitalist. Like they're post Star Trek, like human society is like post most things. Um, so Dexter walking into the convention tries to buy some food and he's like, we have moved past your primitive capitalist notions of money and exchange. <laughs> and it's like very clearly anti-capitalist sentiment in this TV show. And I loved it. That's dope. That's very cool. Um, um, there is actually one I have to go back and, and watch. Um, it's actually the first time a TV show explicitly states something anti-capitalist that I ever watched. I realized. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. That's interesting to me because I was going to say, because this show, because it is so reliant on like sight gags and sci-fi and stuff there's a lot less um political stuff in it but you know when i'm like all right what's like my my analysis about this from the perspective of you know capitalism and i was thinking well you know it does focus really hard on the nuclear family in a way that no other show that we have watched so far does yes and the nuclear family is a creation of and um, backbone for um, capitalist economic system. Like it is literally, it is the picture. It, it, it's a boy, a girl, children, two children, and uh, a stay-at-home mom and a worker father. It is the image of the nuclear family, and I and I noticed that too. And um, overall, I think. I was going to say, like, it is sort of prototypically, I think even a little bit psychologically, the, like, prototypical American family pre-2000s. Interesting. What do you see psychologically about that? Because, like, 
it's it's so prototypical in terms of like the capitalist nuclear family for like you know this is your unit of responsibility that you um you labor and produce to benefit this unit and uh, the mother is engaging in all of this reproductive labor, both in reproducing um, the male worker so that the, the capitalist doesn't have to put input input into maintaining that waged worker and literally reproducing additional laborers. Um, so there's a lot there and it's pretty straightforward with that. But I'm interested in um, what you mean by psychologically, it seems like. Well, um so I already mentioned their parenting style is a little bit more authoritarian. Um, I mean, the parents are attentive. The father is actually somewhat attentive. Um, but like a lot of time, what a prototypically in that style of nuclear family, the father's um, caring is conditional. It's not unconditional. So um, you see that when Dexter fails to be good at sports um, or even fails to fit the narrow range of like physical activity that the dad wants him to do. Even though outside you see Dexter running, flipping, uh, fighting a monster, he's not playing baseball or doing prototypical sports things. So his dad is disappointed. Um, oh. the mother is somewhat unconditional, but she also like authoritarian wise, like commands kids to do stuff. And if they don't do it, like you're going to fucking do it or you're going to go to your room. Um, I mean, they, 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 they have a couple episodes where they do emphasize the closeness of this family unit. And if you think about family in general, like family in human society, rather than family in just like a capitalist society, family units are super important and they're important support systems and the family mostly sticks together. And I think that that's not necessarily a bad aspect of the nuclear family, um, like they're cohesive and that mm -hmm. can be a very, like a positive cause they help each other out when they need it. Um, overall, I think that what a lot of what I have to say about the family structure is what it leaves out. The show leaves out community and it leaves out extended family. They have no extended family or friends. And that Dude has like a couple of friends. <laughs> That is not only potentially problematic, but it is also not very representative of how a lot of people live. Uh, a lot of people live with their extended family. I mean, the world over, extended family is an important part of one's community. That is something that you see in a lot of countries. People are expected to take care of, to live with, to interact with their extended family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins. That's important. And there's evidence that extended family can be a very important uh, support system for people. For example, having grandparents in a person's life is very positively associated with outcomes for kids because they can learn lessons, receive resources, and receive help from those family members. And that's a general weakness of the nuclear family is that the nuclear family is isolated, not only from the rest of their family, but also uh, unless the family works hard to establish connections with other nuclear families, isolated from community. And you see, this is a small cast. And it's very much like 
this is a castle where this family lives and it's separate from every other castle, like tiny little castle house. Um, mm-hmm. And that can be like psychologically that can be problematic, especially if the family is dysfunctional. The family is cohesive, so it's not as much of a problem. But if they had a dysfunctional family, it means that the kids or the individual adults really have no other way to seek assistance. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was notable because I hadn't really thought about the fact that none of the other shows that we've watched had placed a big emphasis on nuclear family. And in fact, um, some of them were very explicitly sort of shaking up that concept. And then this one, it's like, like aggressively about like a very traditional American nuclear family. And so it really stood out to me. Yeah. It, I guess it stands out because of that contrast. Cause you're right. I mean, Hey Arnold is definitely not about nuclear families. Well, except mm-hmm. for like Gerald's family, but they also have three kids, which is more kids than a lot of nuclear families have. Um, but yeah, and Rugrats is all about community and extended family as well. So mm-hmm. overall, you're right. This show is a little bit less. And I think you sort of get um, individualistic like power messages too. Dexter is a one-man, like a one-man machine. Um, he, he does everything himself. He is self-reliant and and capable and intelligent. Like he's everything about like an individualist. Mm-hmm. You, you could probably it, think it's of. also like really Calvinist because it's not just that Dexter is all of these things that like we value in like, um, in like America, Calvinist capitalist America specifically, but also he is innately those things. Right. And that's a really Calvinist idea that you have like innate talents endowed to you by God. And it's your job to figure out like what vocation you're being called to. And so we see even with that sort of like finale episode with the um, the opera, Dexter is innately a genius. He was born that way. He and not only is he innately a genius, he innately has a drive to create and Dee Dee is innately curious um, and accidentally destructive. <laughs> yeah, I was like, about that to That is who she is. I was about to say, he's proclaimed a genius one, like immediately out of the womb, and they give him glasses, and he just is a genius. Um, I mean, the opera episode is actually really high quality music, too, if you think about it. All the voice actors did singing. Like, it was great. I love that episode. Yeah, it's good. They did a really good job. Um, the final, the finale was actually the giant robot anime fight episode. The opera. Uh, see, I like, I missed it. I didn't get to the giant robot. I thought I was so, there, but I missed it. So uh, there are a couple things that you can say about racial stereotypes. There are not many because the show is mostly white. Um, the show <laughs> is mostly white people, which is like inherently, it's not bad necessarily. I mean, it's very with the times, but, um, the last episode involves Dexter being a Japanese exchange student. Mm -hmm. 
and their portrayal of Japan is oh, no. very is very 1950s western um oh no every, is it like every every um, every kid has a Tiffany's every kid has a mecca like every kid <laughs> has a robot the girls look like the girls have big eyes and pink hair sometimes the boys all have robots model and literal the sun is not the sun the sun is a red sun with four rays of red light coming out on a white background there's a mount fuji analog in the back at all times um he's staying in a major city but he's staying with a family who lives in a paper door house with a rock garden all the way around uh and they only have tatami mat rooms even though that's not how most people in modern Japanese society live. They... (laughs) A boy summons... A boy summons... A a Japanese boy summons the power of his ancestors to tell a story about a dragon. Um, Oh, that's kind That's That's Chinese. I know, I know. They start (laughs) to mix it in there, but they also fight a a kaiju... Um, I mean, it's half of it is a Godzilla spoof. And so in that sense, a lot of that isn't offensive, but, uh, some of the things they do, it's just like all together, there's one after the other. There's just too many creative choices that they made where you're just like, I can't tell if they're making fun of old anime. I can't tell if they're making fun of monster movies, or I can't tell if this is just unintentionally problematic. Yeah. Cause I was about to say, it kind of sounds like they were trying to be like, we're going to include all these, like, anime tropes from, like, 90s anime and maybe, like, kind of overdid it and end up being kind of uh, racist. I think that's probably the the the, the, care, the most careful version of that argument is that they just they, – they, they went overboard. They, they, they overstepped a bit and it ended up being a problem. Yeah, because clearly the people who work on that show love anime, uh, especially Tartakovsky, because like from the beginning, you get tons of anime references and even stuff just like, you know, uh, you throw out a weapon and it makes that chwee sound and the lens flare. And um, he went on to make Samurai Jack. I mean, come on, you know. And so I think it was like this thing that I think. That same, nerds are getting a lot better at where like you love a thing and you want to like spoof or pay homage to its tropes but like because you are not from that culture you end up fucking up and it ends up being kind of like racist in retrospect I, I I think overall it's a really good spoof of anime and kaiju uh, like monster that like the monster genre like Godzilla I think uh-huh. all of that stuff that they did and all of the tropes that were clearly anime tropes they did were perfectly executed and were hilarious. The Some of the cultural background stuff was the problem. And I, yeah. think, I, I think they were, they, they just like, if they had gone a little bit less overboard, I think the sun being a Japanese flag, if that had just been one of the things they'd done, it would have been hilarious. But I think if it was just that, it would have been really – if it was just any one of those things, it would have been really funny. If it was just the tatami mat, like paper door house, or just the sun, or just Mount Fuji always being in the background, it would have been really funny. It would have made you think of like 
bad racist depictions in like film in the 50s but all of them at once is just like settle down guys <laughs> that yeah that's i think I, I i will settle for that like that is a good way to put it um so overall there's less to analyze here and i i think page you already said something to that effect and i think because it's mostly amoral it's mostly apolitical um and really the gags don't lend like the gags are neutral they don't really send messages i mean you do get a lot of sci-fi stuff uh there's tons to analyze if you go at it from a sci-fi lens but that's not really either of our specialties like you see a lot of um fear about ai and like what ai will do when it becomes too smart you see that here in sort of a funny way it's kind of like um i robot for babies like it's showing <laughs> i think it's good because it introduces kids to sci-fi concepts in a, in a in a consumable understandable way that later yeah. mean a lot um mecha space exploration ai aliens um like the the it's, hubris of scientists who go too far, you you get a lot of yeah good stuff, and just tropes like we're gonna like sh I'm gonna shrink to do this thing or whatever, and, and honestly, you know there there's the gender politics stuff I've talked about, um you know there's the stuff that we just talked about about being maybe accidentally racist. Um, and, you know, just like the fact that it's incredibly white and seemed like it was marketed at boys, which is just a product of what Cartoon Network was doing at the time. Whereas Doug was apolitical in a way that I thought was really meaningful. Dexter's what? Lab is just kind of apolitical. Um, because I think there's this there was for a long time this kind of thing within nerd culture that happens in a lot of cultures that tend to be more white and more male where it's just like, well, we don't need to worry. Like, of course we're apolitical, we're normal, <laughs> you know, but we're not normal cause we're nerds. And it was kind of just devoid of politics in that sense. Well, um, yeah, this is sort of occurring during that transition period where you see nerds go from like outcast type to, successful regular type people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so but it's still like the idea that it they're still technically part of the prevailing culture and thus they don't really have to worry about politics because the politics are kind of inherently alongside with them is still like accurate i think and i i think that part of it being marketed to boys also fits alongside that like nerd culture still at that time still really kind of is like more male and gate like i don't know like gated to girls less so gatekeepy Le yeah less I mean, so like now i mean that's still a hard fight that's occurring i mean gamergate did not happen that long ago um and, you know it wasn't that long ago that like cartoon network canceled a really popular show 
because it was mostly popular with little girls and they didn't think that little girls would buy action figures. You know, it's Young Justice, by the way, if those if anybody listening doesn't know. Uh, Young Justice is an amazing show. What? I'm sorry. Young Justice is an amazing show. It's coming back. It's coming back for its third season. Um, That's dope. Yeah, it got revived thanks to Fan Outcry and Netflix. Um, Cannot thank Netflix enough for that, I suppose. Yeah, shouts out to Netflix. (laughs) Um, But, like, I think in retrospect, like, kids now, I think more girls might watch it. Yeah, definitely. There's been a shift. There's been a shift. Because as much as, like, I am a big fat nerd now and have, like, flouted a lot of gender norms and even for like the 90s my mom was like dope about gender norms she was very big on like there are no boy colors and girl colors there are no boy toys and girl toys but at the same time like I was surrounded with all those messages and maybe I notice now from my like experience teaching that little girls don't seem to be as grossed out by like body humor and visceral stuff as I remember being and I remember my peers being as a little girl so we've maybe changed the socialization a little bit um where we don't force girls to be like delicate and clean quite as aggressively quite as early and you see Dexter hit a lot of hallmarks that are a lot of hallmarks of nerd culture today I mean there's an episode about D&D there's an episode about conventions. There's an episode about time. Like there are a couple episodes about time travel. Um, By the way, the D and D episode was like the most accurate depiction of D and D I have ever seen in television. <laughs> it it is the most accurate episode of D and D run by a DM who likes joke, like joke games. It, mm-hmm. Like that is. It was a good example of like a lot of the games that people play for their first D and D game. I think is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the most inaccurate part of it is, like, for one, Dee Dee just can't come in and, like, play with them and be the game master, but whatever. Um, But, you know, the fact that, like, Dexter had, like, he had the mat and the miniatures and all of the books and the screen that had the tables on it and all of that kind of stuff. Um, But also, like, he's little kids, so, like, the dungeon he made is, like, kind of lame and boring. Yeah, it's kind of, it's generic. Yeah. And like the P like the other people play with Didi because she's bringing along levity. Um, I identify because the players and the DM clearly have different ideas of what they want to get out of the game. Mm-hmm. So like, that's why that whole episode happens. Um, yeah. I know like at the very beginning of the episode, they're like, all you ever do is try to kill us and i was like what that's how the game works that's what that's the dm's job what would the game be uh well (laughs) you know uh there are a lot of philosophies on how a dm should run their game and i and many people are of the opinion that your goal should not be to kill your players you should not let them get away with stuff or you should not punish them when they do stupid things but your goal from the outset should to be on their side but to create a world that has consequences. Hmm. Okay. I guess I kind of think of it as like, well, of course the, the DM's trying to kill you because the DM has created a world in which there are like dangers and fights for you to face because that's what makes this game fun. 
you know, and if there weren't dangers and fights, then it wouldn't be a fun game. That that's that is all covered by creating a world of consequences. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. That and makes I actually, sense. Okay, but anyway, this is not a DMV podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, we could talk more about it though. I have more to say, but fine. <laughs> But yeah, I think I, 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 I texted you at one point. I was like, this is the original nerd culture show. There's just constant. And those are the parts that I like the best. When it was referencing D&D or when it was referencing anime, I loved it. Like, okay, can we just briefly discuss the Speed Racer episode? Yeah, yeah. So one of the, one of the episodes I remember the best, too, was the episode where it's done entirely like a speed racer ep- like episode, except it's like the soapbox derby. Um, but they all talk like this, where we have to redeem our fate, and oh no, Dexter, watch out, ha-ha! Um, they, they talk and speak exactly like they're in Speed Racer. We've got the girl and the monkey, uh, which is really a boy and a monkey in the normal one. But... Dee Dee's costume completely changes, and so does their dad's. She's Racer <laughs> to look D. Like people from Speed Racer. She's Racer D instead of Racer. Um, I forget what it is. It's like I don't remember either. X. Um, I'm but, not familiar enough with Speed Racer, honestly, to be able to explain the yeah, characters. Yeah, me neither. But it, it, it was a great episode. You should watch it. Um, it's entertaining to this day. Really? It's it's hilarious because they also do like they talk like really fast and like like really fast, but like kind of in a monotone. And you'll see like Dexter looking at his dad and he'll have this like fast monotone monologue and then like say something immediately after the monologue ends. Like it's uh, it's so good. It's so perfect. You should respond to the poll in the Facebook group about which is the better anime Speed Racer or also Speed Racer. (laughs) I I proved I'm not going to tell you how I answered but I, um, one thing I do want to say is that I really didn't watch much post hiatus and it, it really is kind of a different show. You still get a lot of the gap, like it's still mostly in form the same, but I think there actually could be more to analyze in the second episode or second part of the show than in the first, because they start having more story to their, like, it looks different and I kind of don't like it, but for example, Dexter goes to college and he learns about study party balance and he goes crazy. And the entire episode is kind of like a meditation on like the, like people don't understand how to balance life and school and schools can fuck people up and like, I don't know. There are there's other stuff, but we mostly watched the first iteration of the series, and so that's kind of where a lot of this has come from. And I I kind of yeah. wish I had more to say. Like I kind of wish I I thoroughly enjoyed watching it, and I guess this is just one of those times where we didn't really get into the heads of the characters a lot. And so yeah, psychologically, there's not, there's not a lot for me to say about these people. There's not a lot of deep because like even my analysis kind of my, my, my political preferences for analysis, they also come from their being psychology, <laughs> you know, because if I can't figure out like, 
what are the beliefs of um, these characters and like what's driving them, then it's difficult for me to be able to say like, well, this is what this has to say about, you know, capitalism. And really the only other thing that I have to say about the show is just in reaction to you bringing up that post hiatus, it becomes more story driven is just something I really noticed is partly because of the format of the three segment episodes, nothing in Dexter's lab ever has any resolution. And um, because nothing ever has any resolution, no one ever learns any lessons and no one ever grows. So it's an incredibly static show in that way. Yeah, usually the show ends where you're just like, oh, Dexter got eaten. The show's over. Um, mm-hmm. So like the the show always resets to its like main premise. And- Return to status quo, but like return to status quo where that means like we don't actually have to resolve anything you just know that at the end of the episode it's going to return to status quo yeah yeah um sometimes there is like the problem is solved but sometimes it's not um and so yeah we don't really get development or uh, stuff like that yeah and i think that's Maybe that format is part of the reason why there's not a ton to say because it's like if you have seven minutes to tell your story and nothing's ever going to be resolved, like you're not going to end up importing a moral, uh, imparting the moral lesson. Like a character's not going to grow and change. Like it's just going to be like it was sight gags and it was a novel concept and like it was entertainment and it is what it is, you know? I think uh, the animation is actually pretty detailed. The backgrounds are pretty good. For the lab, like they're super detailed. Oh yeah. Um, and I actually enjoyed seeing it. Like they did. There's some good animation work for what it is. I think. Like, I agree with you. Yeah, and you know, halfway through, they changed from doing um, like traditional cell animation. Early on, they outsourced coloring, which was when that was beginning to become a huge thing to outsource coloring and. That makes animation got go a lot fast, or it's digital coloring, sorry. And then they switched away halfway through from cell animation to just digital, and it really shows. I, part of the problem is that it's in line with the creative team changes they made. So they made like a mm-hmm. whole, they they changed everything when they changed to digital. So it's hard to tell like what would have changed or stayed the same afterwards um but I, overall just in in summary for me i enjoyed it uh, the show is actually expiring off of hulu so if you want to watch a couple episodes I, I i recommend watching the opera episode the mecca episode at the very end of the like the very end of the show it's um last but certainly not beast i think it's called um you, you can look through and kind of find the episodes about Star Trek or D&D or the robots. Those are all the really good episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really all I have to say. Yeah, me too. Just, um, you know, like, uh, did some great nerd cult- culture stuff and, you know, it was entertaining. Um, you know, give it a watch. Specifically watch for the, you know the speed racer episodes and all the spoofs and homages and whatnot. Those are the most rewarding episodes. Uh, and, uh, thank you for listening this evening or this morning or whenever you listen. And, uh, this has been Chris. 
And the spin page, um, this was Animates. Uh, if you like the show, please follow us on Twitter at Animates. Um, you can like our Facebook page, Animates Podcast. If you have a lengthy question that you don't think can be addressed on the Facebook or Twitter, you can feel free to give us an email. It's animateease with the numeral eight at gmail.com. And as usual, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review it. It would really help for us, uh, help us show up when people are searching for us and we really want other people to get a chance to listen to the show. Thanks. <laughs>